Welcome to the Bible Lab, my friends, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining us again as we continue our examination of the Gospel of Mark. Now, we're going to look at our fourth theme today, how Mark longs for people to follow Jesus and the pattern of his life. But before I begin an examination of this theme, I just would love to encourage you guys to not only read Mark for yourselves, but to invite someone, preferably someone who is not currently a Christian, to read Mark with you. Now, I don't know what it's like in your particular country, if you're listening in Finland or in Nigeria, uh, but for those listening in America, study after study seems to indicate that if an unbeliever was invited by a Christian to read the Bible together, just one time, the vast majority of people indicate that they would say yes. Now, they may not say yes to reading the Bible with you 10 times, But it seems like most people would be open to reading the Bible at least once. I think there's a curiosity in our culture, and perhaps in many of the cultures from which you're listening in, about the Bible. And may I humbly suggest to you that the Gospel of Mark is an excellent place for you to begin reading the Bible with people. Just for a couple of reasons. One, Mark's short, right? John's 21 chapters, Matthew's 28, Lucas 24. Mark is just 16 chapters. Two, as we mentioned in our last podcast, Mark has a lot less of Jesus's teaching and a lot more of Jesus's action. The story moves quickly. Jesus is on the move. He's doing things. It's very graphic and vivid with all of the exorcisms and walking on water and the healings. Three, Mark perfectly depicts what it looks like to follow Jesus. As we're going to see, you and I are the disciples. We are to see ourselves as walking in the footsteps of the disciples, often stumbling and falling, and learning more about Jesus as we go. And four, as we also talked about in our last episode, Mark ends abruptly. And I believe that Mark ends in that way to force you, the reader, to ask the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that's a great place where we want to take our friends who aren't currently believers, currently aren't Christians, to read through the gospel of Mark would be to encourage them to see themselves as being forced to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? So just some friendly encouragement for yourself and for myself as well. Ask someone to read Mark and just see what the Lord does. So as I said, today's theme is looking at what Mark says about following Jesus and the pattern of his life. And the way Mark brings us into the story is by telling us really the story of the disciples who followed Jesus during the three years of his earthly ministry. Now in the gospel of Mark, there are three phases to the story of the disciples. There's following, misunderstanding, and failure. And Mark uses this depiction of the weaknesses and failures of the disciples to urge people to count the cost of following Jesus. One more side note before we jump in. This emphasis on the failure of the disciples is one of the reasons the Bible rings true. Friends, I don't know about you, but if I were seeking to create a religion in order to gain power and influence, as some people have accused the disciples of doing, I would make myself sound a lot better in the story than the disciples do. Remember, you are reading most likely the words of Peter given to Mark as Mark writes down this gospel. And Peter is very honest about his own failures and misunderstandings in the ministry of Jesus. Just something for you to consider. So let's look first at the disciples following Jesus. Now, it starts off pretty well for the disciples in the gospel. At Mark, they are called by Jesus to come and follow him and Peter and Andrew and James and John just drop the nets and they walk away and they follow Jesus. 
as they go through their ministry with Jesus, eventually Jesus sends them out with authority and they go out and they preach and they teach and they cast out demons and they come back. And it's really, really exciting for them. Things seem to be going really well. But that brings us to the second phase, and that's the phase of misunderstanding. The disciples' problem was their inability to grasp a few things. The first was they didn't grasp who Jesus was. They thought that Jesus was just another teacher. Maybe some of them, as we see, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had in mind an earthly Messiah following in the line of King David or maybe Judas Maccabeus, just a a military conqueror who was going to drive out foreign invaders. They didn't understand who Jesus was, and they didn't understand the extent of Jesus's power and compassion. And so in chapters four through eight of Mark, Mark tells three stories about the disciples on a boat to highlight their confusion. And during each story, they display a lack of understanding and more than just not understanding, a lack of faith. I'm going to read each of these stories to you and see if you can pick up the misunderstanding. So Mark 4, 35 through 41 says this, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They don't understand who Jesus is. Who is this? And they don't understand his power. They don't understand how is he able to do something like this? The next story on a boat is Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, this may help you to understand a little bit of the confusion. Now, obviously, if any of us saw today a man walking on the water, we would be astonished. But there's an extra level here. Remember that these men are Jews. In the Jewish mind, the waters, particularly stormy waters, symbolize chaos and darkness and fear and danger. And so in the Old Testament, it said that God walks on the waters, that God is sovereign over the waves. And so when they see Jesus walking on the water and having authority to calm the storm, something that in their mind only Yahweh can do, they're having a hard time understanding how this guy, you know, the guy who they've like, you know, shared a meal with and heard snoring on the boat, is also Yahweh. That just didn't compute for them. This is why they're so astounded. This is why they are so confused. One final boat story about their confusion. Mark 8, 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And as readers, the answer that we can give is no, they really don't understand. And friends, this is one of the things that following Jesus requires. Now, Jesus is God, and so we're never going to fully understand God. There is no end to God. But we do need to truly understand. And so Mark will bring us face to face with the reality that Jesus is God. And we must acknowledge that he is God. Remember, there are certain truths that must be believed in order to belong to Christ. And one of those truths is, is that Jesus, while being fully man, is also fully God. We do not worship a creature. No creature can save us. We worship the creator, Jesus, God in the flesh. So the disciples don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand his power. And one final thing they don't understand They don't understand exactly what it's going to cost them to following Jesus. As we turn in the Gospel of Mark from Peter's confession and we shift to the second half of Mark's Gospel, where Jesus is teaching the disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah, namely that he's going to suffer and die, we see the disciples over and over again argue about who's going to be the most famous, the most important. And this shows us they are not ready to face the coming crisis. Mark 8, 32-33. Jesus said this plainly, this fact that he was going to suffer and die. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, why? Why does Jesus call Peter Satan? Well, we haven't talked about this yet in Mark. But remember that in the Gospels, we know that Jesus was taken out into the wilderness. They said the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And there, after fasting for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. And one of the things that the devil tempted him, he said to Jesus, if you'll bow before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. They're mine. I can give them to you. What Satan was tempting Jesus with was the idea that you can have the crown and the throne, Jesus, without the cross. But Jesus knows that there is no crown without a cross. And so when Jesus hears Peter speaking, this idea of, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. He knows that what's behind that is Satan. This is Satan speaking through Peter, this idea that all humans want to cling to of glory and power without sacrifice. Another evidence of their misunderstanding, Mark 9, 32-34. But they did not understand these things and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, "What what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And then one more, Mark 10, 35-41. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or so to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now just a couple of remarks about this passage of Scripture. There's a a similar passage in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's James and John's mother, who may actually be related to Jesus. 
who may be related to Mary, Jesus' mother. But at any rate, she comes up to Jesus. And in Matthew, it says that she asked Jesus this question about James and John. And so do we have a contradiction here? Because Matthew says James and John, their mother asked, and Mark said James and John asked. There is no contradiction here. Because in Matthew's story, James and John's mother asked the question, but Jesus turns to James and John and he speaks to them. Because he understands that though it's James and John's mother who is speaking to them, James and John told her to go ask Jesus. And so all Mark has done is he's cut out the middleman, as we say. He's just simply left James and John's mother out of the story because the real question comes from James and John and their sinful misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Now, it's very easy for us as we read through the gospel of Mark and really any of the gospels to over and over again say to ourselves, oh, how could the disciples be so stupid? How could they miss it? Don't give in to that temptation. Friends, just remember a couple of things. One, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you or I would not understand the things of God. It is not because you and I are smarter than the disciples that we see Jesus for who he is. It's because God has graciously opened our eyes. And when we look down on the disciples, we are subtly and implicitly giving ourselves credit that we do not deserve. But the second thing that we want to remember before we throw stones at the disciples is the idea of a suffering Messiah to them, to the Jewish mind, was like a four-sided triangle. Friends, that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a four-sided triangle. And so the idea of the Messiah, the one who's supposed to rule the nations with the staff and the rod of iron and the scepter and place his foot on the neck of God's enemies, rule forever. The thought of that person dying at the hand of the Gentiles, it made it about as much sense as a four-sided triangle. And so they just cannot understand, no matter how plainly Jesus says to this to them, apart from the spirit of God, And without seeing it for themselves, how God's going to bring victory through the cross, they simply can't understand. And this misunderstanding leads to the third phase of the disciples' journey, and that is failure. As we come to the end of the gospel, the disciples quite simply, epically fail. When Jesus is in the garden and he asks them to pray, they sleep. When the mob comes to arrest Jesus, they run. And in fact, the last direct mention of the disciples, the last time the disciples appear on the page of Mark, is when Peter is weeping after having denied Jesus three times. It's a sobering picture. And the encouragement for us is that Jesus never gave up on the disciples. And in fact, after his resurrection, one of the things the angels tell the women to tell the disciples is that Jesus wants to meet with you. Jesus never gives up on his foolish, faltering, wavering flock. And that's really good news for us. But the warning is that the cost is real. We have been called to a life of service and suffering, not comfort. And we are going to stumble and fall and we are going to face opposition. And are we ready to pay the cost? As we close today, friends, we want to look at what Mark says about the way of discipleship. Seven different times in Mark chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus is described as being on the way. And that repeated phrase, on the way, on the way, on the way, should clue us in to Mark is saying something important about following Jesus. We are on the road, on the way to to Jesus, on the way with Jesus. And while Jesus is on the way, he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. And as we read above three different times, it says the disciples failed to understand what Jesus was saying about his death. Mark has structured his teaching about the nature of discipleship around these three misunderstandings from the disciples. So 
What was Jesus teaching them that they did not understand that we want to make very plain to anybody who's considering becoming a Christian? First, discipleship is about self-denial. It's not about being true to yourself. It's not about following your heart. It's about denying yourself and taking up your cross. Being a disciple of Jesus means setting aside self-interest. It means dying to your desires, taking up a cross. To take up the cross doesn't mean to wear a cross necklace or a cross t-shirt or put a cross bumper sticker on your car. To take up the cross meant that the disciples were to be ready to suffer and die for Jesus at any moment. Now, friends, for many of us in America, that seems a distant possibility. But we do have brothers and sisters all over the world, some of whom are listening in Nigeria even right now. And for those brothers and sisters, being ready to die for Jesus is a very real possibility. And Jesus encourages people, count the cost. But what Jesus also tells us is that the disciple who loses his life for Jesus will discover that he has lost nothing at all. Mark 8.35, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Friends, there are just almost an uncountable number of martyrs for the faith. I get emails every week from a group called Voice of the Martyrs, and and almost every single week, it's a new story about somewhere in the world where a brother or sister was killed for their faith in Jesus. And on the one hand, it, it breaks our heart to read those stories. But friends, if we could speak to them right now, and we could ask them as they're standing around the throne of glory, beholding Jesus, and we ask them the question, was it worth it? They would simply laugh and point at Jesus and say, what do you think? Of course it was worth it. But discipleship is about self-denial right now so that you can receive the kingdom later. What else does Mark teach us about discipleship? Discipleship means being a servant and a slave of all. The follower of Jesus is no longer free to live for our own desires. We are sent out into the world to serve. And when we live like this, we are following the example of our master who said that he came not to be served, but to serve. So friends, I would encourage you, read the Gospel of Mark this week and be struck by the power and the humility and the compassion and the patience of Jesus, but also invite someone to read it with you. Prayerfully ask that God would also captivate their heart with the beauty of Jesus. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, it will be our final time examining the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to close by looking at what Mark says about the kingdom of God. But for now, take up and read. God bless.